Hello and welcome to the Rice Historical Review Podcast. I am Riju Tavalishai, co-director of podcasting, joined with fellow co-directors Melissa Carmona and Josue Alvarenga. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Olivia Daniker, a senior from Weiss majoring in history, Spanish, and Portuguese, and the Rice Historical Review's co-managing editor. Today we are discussing Olivia's senior dissertation surrounding the response of Spanish-speaking communities across the United States to the Civil War. Olivia, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you guys for having me today. We're happy to have you on. Yeah, like Rajuda said, thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, so with that, we can just start on our questions. So the first one we have um, is, can you give us a brief introduction to the topic of your thesis and kind of the basic ideas surrounding it? Yeah, so broadly, my thesis is about um, Hispanic American or Spanish speaking communities in America and the way that they um, basically got involved and took action in the Spanish Civil War in Spain. And so to give some context to that, um, the Spanish Civil War happened, started in 1936 when a nationalist fascist uprising that started in the Spanish military um, led by Francisco Franco, as most people know as the eventual dictator of Spain, um, they tried to overthrow the democratically elected Spanish Republican government. And so that was really kind of the first, I think, major clash between fascism and democracy in Europe. Um, this is pre-World War II. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting, I think, preview into what was coming in the next few years in Europe. But interestingly, a lot of countries did not want to get involved at all. The US um, President FDR actually signed um, like a, a non-intervention policy saying that like the US military was not gonna get involved in any way. Um, they would not send any sort of arms or equipment to Spain to support the Democratic Republic. Um, and so really it was just kind of this, this conflict that was localized to Spain, but something that the world was very much watching. Um, <clears throat> and so despite this US neutrality policy, a lot of, not a lot, but a significant population of Americans kind of took it upon themselves to get involved. Um, these were mostly like left-leaning, mostly communists, um, people who are really passionate about left-wing causes and anti-fascism. And so they, a lot of them volunteered as soldiers in the war or, you know, started these little groups to fundraise. And so that's kind of the main narrative of American involvement in the Spanish Civil War. And what I wanted to look at was more specifically what these Spanish speaking communities in the US were doing at the time, um, because that that's a group that had a very strong presence in the country, especially within like left wing movements at that time, but they aren't really included in sort of this general story about America and Spanish Civil War. Um, and I found that really interesting because there is obviously like a linguistic connection. Um, which I think a lot of other American groups didn't have. And so, yeah, that was, that's kind of the basis of what I wanted to explore. Okay, that all sounds great. Um, but then following up, I kind of want to ask, what are some of your motivations for like choosing this topic? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, I actually studied abroad in Spain uh, two years ago. Um, and that was the first time I was really kind of introduced to the Spanish Civil War and just how I guess complex it was, and to this day, still a very complex issue in Spain. Um, and then the year after I got back, I took a class in the Spanish department with um, Dr. Esther Fernandez, who's 
so wonderful. Um, and it was a class that was sort of looking at the Spanish Civil War through the lens of a lot of the literature and art that came out of it. And I just thought that it was such a fascinating topic. Um, it's, it's really so complex and so interesting and something that I think is not discussed too often when we're talking about like the rise of fascism in Europe. Um, and then on the other flip, on the flip side, I also just like really liked American history from like the early 20th century. I think that that's a fascinating time period that has so much to do with kind of like the way that the US looks even today. And so I, I was really motivated to do this project because I was looking for something that could kind of combine both my majors and combine those two um, sort of historical topics and periods that I was interested in. So earlier you mentioned that you're studying the Spanish-speaking communities in the United States and their response. So can you introduce us to some of these Spanish-speaking communities? Yeah, definitely. So I think what's something that I found while doing this research that was really interesting to me was just how diverse Spanish-speaking communities were and still are um, across the U.S. And so you know, when you're, when we're talking about like the 1930s, a lot of times people focus on the Mexican American communities that were mostly in like the Southwest, um, West Coast, kind of California through Texas area. Um, and they definitely had a very strong presence. That's one of the communities that I focus on a lot. Um, but there were also really big communities of Spanish speakers in New York City. So those were a lot of like Cubans, Puerto Ricans, um, other groups from like Latin America. And then there was another very small but very powerful community um, in Tampa in Florida. Um, and that was a lot of Cuban Americans and also interestingly, a lot of Spanish Americans. So people who had immigrated from Spain actually. Um, and so those are kind of the three, I would say main communities I'm looking at, but even that is sort of painting this um, American Spanish speaking population like kind of broadly, I think there are so many like smaller communities and just so many diverse people that were spread out across the country. Um, and so it's hard to kind of look at one community that's representative of all of them. But I think those three in particular were very, very strong and um, played a really prominent role in kind of American life in the 30s. I know you mentioned, Olivia, a little bit about the linguistic connection that these communities had to Spain. Um, but could you give maybe some examples of like some cultural connections or some historical connections they might have to Spain as well? Yeah, so um, so I think in the case of like the Spanish Americans, it's the the connection is pretty obvious. A lot of them, like their parents had been born in Spain. Um, they still had family there. So the war was something that, you know, from the first day hit very close to home. Um, but in these other communities, it's a little bit more, um, I guess complex. It's so obviously like a lot of the Latin American Spanish speaking world has this historical relationship to Spain as they were former Spanish colonies. And so um, on one side, I think a lot of the people who came from these countries had sort of anti-colonialist sentiments towards Spain. Um, but on the other hand, there was definitely still this very strong connection to like particularly the Spanish Catholic Church, um, just a lot of the historical kind of cultural influences that Spain brought to that region of the world. And so, um, you know, while, while these um, people from other Spanish speaking countries maybe don't have the same 
direct familial ties to Spain or anything like that. It's very much a region of the world that they were um, attuned to. You know, they were, whatever was happening in Spain, people in Latin America were definitely watching that. Um, so I think in that way, you know, it wasn't maybe a direct cultural connection, but it's something that goes back to sort of the historical roots. What are some of the primary sources you have utilized so far? Um, yeah, so the first primary source I started with was really interesting. It was um, sort of like a roll call list or like a registration list of all the Americans who had volunteered in Spain. And um, the first thing I did basically with the project was to go through that list and find everyone who was indicated as being like a Spanish speaker or bilingual. Um, and so that was really interesting, just seeing in that source alone, kind of like how present these people were, despite the fact that they're not really ever looked at in the historiography. Um, so that was kind of a starting point. And then from there, I went into sources like that came out of each particular community. So I looked at a lot of newspapers, um, both Spanish language newspapers and English newspapers that were kind of circulated within these communities. Um, and then I also used a, a series of interviews that were done by a historian from Florida. Um, she interviewed a lot of Spanish speakers who had been involved in the Spanish Civil War, both from home and who had volunteered. Um, and she had maybe like 20 tapes of interviews. Um, so I listened to those and those were really fascinating. Would you mind reading an excerpt from one of your primary sources for our listeners? Yeah. So this is one, um, this is a little piece that came from one of the interviews with a woman who was, I guess she was like a child um, during the Spanish Civil War. And um, she's kind of talking about just her neighborhood's reaction. Um, and so she says, the minute we knew there was a war on and how bad it was going for the people, then we knew that it wasn't enough to just listen to what was happening and just be interested. We knew we had to help. So that's what everybody did in the neighborhood. We all started to help. Um, and I thought that was, that's kind of how I opened my paper. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it's, I think it just demonstrates like the sentiment that a lot of these people felt, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to just kind of be paying attention to it. They felt this really strong urge to actually do something um, about what was going on in Spain at a time when a lot of the rest of the country wasn't. Which kind of brings us to our next question, which is why did most other Americans choose to distance themselves from the Spanish Civil War? Because after all, it's, as you mentioned, it's kind of an ignored part of the rise of fascism in Europe, but it's definitely a part of the rise of fascism in Europe. So why, why did some Americans choose to distance themselves from that? Right. Um, I think, I mean, I wouldn't say it was completely ignored. It was definitely um, something that appeared in the mainstream news. Um, quite often, but, you know, not nearly at the levels of like when World War II started to really um, come into the picture. Um, but I think a lot of Americans were very, very hesitant to get involved in this war at all because I guess, so World War I, even though it had ended almost 20 years before, um, I think that was still very fresh in the minds and the memories of a lot of Americans, just the horrors of that kind of warfare in Europe. And so the idea of going back to Europe again to get involved in potentially another like really messy war was definitely not appealing. Um, and then at the same time, this, this all happened kind of still during the Great Depression. 
And so I think a lot of Americans were also very concerned with that, like what was going on at home. Um, and so between this economic crisis at home and just this kind of general feeling of more isolationism, it, it was something that a lot of people were like very wary of, I think. And then what made the Americans that chose to be involved on either side different? Yeah, I think, I think so, like in the case of the Spanish speaking communities that I'm looking at, I think, again, it kind of goes back to this linguistic, historical, cultural connection. I think a lot of them were more um, kind of looking at Spain a little more closely than maybe the general population. Um, and then for the other American communities who got involved, a lot of it came down to politics. Um, so there was kind of this like rising communist movement in the US and that was very closely tied to the Spanish Civil War because um, the Soviet Union was actually the only really major country that um, allied itself with the Spanish Republic. So even though it, what the Spanish Republic wasn't a communist government necessarily, it did have these deep ties to like far left movements. And so um, a lot of the people from America who got involved on that side were also tied to these far left movements as well. Um, and then for the other side, I think a lot of people who supported the nationalist uprising were devout Catholics. Um, it was the Catholic Church was very much allied with the Nationalist Party and they actually faced some, some very brutal attacks by the Republicans. Um, and so a lot of people who were worried about like the oppression of Catholicism, um, kind of this erasure of traditional values around the world, um, they were very, very active in kind of speaking out against that. So did anything you learned surprise you or challenge any pre-existing ideas you had um, around this, you know, historical time period or the communities um, before you started your research? Yeah, I think for one, just the level of involvement really surprised me. Um, you know, at first I was expecting to read about maybe a handful of people who had volunteered in Spain. Um, but what I actually ended up finding was that each of these communities kind of in their own unique way, um, built like a system of activism and organizing that focused on the Spanish Civil War um, and supporting the war effort, whether that was like the Republican side or the nationalist side. Um, there were a lot of organizations that these people made that like brought the community together. Um, there were a lot of just like community events that they did to hold fundraisers and things like that. So I think the power of kind of this like grassroots organizing and like relying on your neighbors, your community, um, I think that was really surprising to me. Um, just looking at some of the records of like what these groups were able to donate and contribute to the war was really surprising. Um, so that was, yeah, that definitely, I think, changed my perception of kind of what this involvement looked like. Um, and then also, I think it was really interesting to see um, kind of how, how divided each of the two factions in the war were and like the people who supported them um, I think this is a lot of times broadly discussed as a clash between like fascism and democracy or left-wing ideals, um, which it was, but at the same time, it was actually so much more complicated than that. And within each side, there were just like all these different sort of sub-factions that didn't even see eye to eye with each other. So um, among people who supported the Republic, you know, some of them were just supporters of democracy and then some were 
like anarchists looking for a total social revolution. These were people who were on the same side, but who really had totally different visions of like how, how the world should look. Um, and that's reflected not just in the people who are fighting in Spain, but also like in the Americans at home um, and their discussions of the war. And so, yeah, that was also really interesting to me. What are some of the challenges you faced researching your response to Spanish speaking communities to the Spanish Civil War? Um, so yeah, challenges in the research. Um, I think I think obviously COVID was a big challenge. Um, a lot of the records from these communities are held in the Tamamet archives at NYU and um, those were closed for a long time. So it was hard to access those. Um, I think also the fact that a lot of sources that are actually from like the people who are involved aside from the interviews and things like that, um, a lot of the kind of personal artifacts either don't exist anymore or um, a lot of them were taken to the common turn archives in Moscow. So you can't really access those either. Um, and then also a good deal of records from this kind of time period and this topic were actually destroyed or, you know, kind of secretly lost during um, the Red Scare and kind of the McCarthy era um, after the war. And so I think, yeah, finding or seeing that like there are or there were these sources that existed, but they just, they aren't accessible anymore was really difficult. Um, and so from that, I kind of had to piece together the story from other things. So that's where newspapers came in to play. Um, cause while, you know, those aren't necessarily from the people like written by the people who were actively involved, um, they did come directly from the communities. And so, um, relying on that commentary was really important in this project. And how does your research remain relevant today? Um, yeah, so I think, I think something that I found really fascinating about this is, just how much a lot of these themes still come up, like even in our discussions of current events today. Um, I think in this project, I, I saw that there was like a lot of polarization, um, both in Spain and within these communities that were supporting one of the sides in Spain. Um, I think in reading some of the primary sources, kind of everyone who was involved had this attitude of like, if the other side wins, that's like the end of the world. Um, you know, it's it's completely unfathomable. And I think that sense of polarization is something that, that you know, resonates very strongly with us today. Um, and I think also another thing that I thought was really interesting and like still relevant was just the power of like grassroots organizing. Um, a lot of these people that were getting involved weren't, they weren't wealthy, they weren't powerful, they weren't like in position, you know, they weren't, um, you know, politicians or leaders necessarily, but they they were able to just use the power of their neighbors and um, you know their own their own passions, the passion they felt for their cause to really make change that I think had a significant impact on the war, um, even though you know it didn't go the way that a lot of them had hoped. Um, yeah, they these communities were able to really take a stand. And I think that's especially important at a time when like their own home government was not taking a stand. Um, so yeah, I think just learning about how, how small groups of people can make serious change.
Yeah, I think that was very eloquently said, Olivia, especially for people who are kind of advocating for more social change today. Um, but yeah, that was our last question. So I wanna thank you, Olivia, for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, we hope that this semester will be a productive one for podcasting and we can feature more members from the Rice History community. We also wanna thank our listeners for tuning in today. Don't forget to check out the Rice Historical Review Virtual Edition alongside picking up your hard copy, which is coming soon. In the meantime, check out our other podcasts and short form pieces at www.ricehistoricalreview.org. Thank you for listening and remember we further the future by promoting the past.